morning from 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 9 here in just a moment. Let me just commend you uh, for being in church on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm proud of each and every one of you and uh, just uh, so thankful that you've prioritized God's house. And uh, I know many of you are praying that the sermon is short this morning and uh, we can get going to different things. I was trying to figure out whether or not uh, we have segregated into different sides. I don't know if we have a Broncos side and a Seahawks side or anything along those lines, Uh, but I'm glad to see there's a good spirit of unity here uh, this morning today. 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 9 is where we're going to be looking at in just a moment. Before we do, I want to introduce our speaker to you, and that's Nick Minerva. Uh, Nick serves as our connections pastor here at Ambassador Baptist Church. He oversees all of the growth groups as well as the uh, uh, small groups that happen here uh, at Ambassador Baptist Church. Uh, Nick has been on staff for four years and has served in many different positions and recently has come on as an assistant pastor and uh, just excited just to see how God is growing him and his family. Uh, He uh, has just been through really for his age so much and yet just to see how God has just worked in his life and and really uh, even through some very difficult circumstances uh, has allowed those circumstances to grow him better rather than grow him bitter. And I'm just, he's, he's such a dear friend of mine. I'm so thankful for him. Uh, they are now, he and his wife, Sarah. Sarah plays the piano on Sunday mornings, and uh, he and his wife are expecting their first child. And so they are looking forward to what God has in store for them here this year. But as our Connections pastor, I thought it would be only appropriate that we take a moment and just to hear from him, get his heart uh, on just spiritual connection, koinonia, spiritual relationships, and uh, I hope it will be a help and a blessing to you. Now, I will say this. Um, uh, Nick brought a lesson to our leadership a while back, and it was just phenomenal. It was really, really helpful. And uh, I asked him to share some of those thoughts with the rest of the church congregation, all right? And so a few of you who are maybe in some leadership and at some of those leadership meetings, some of this might be familiar. But it was just so good that I thought, man, our entire church needs to hear this. And so my prayer is that will be a help and a blessing. So before he comes, let's uh, stand out of respect for God's word. And uh, we're going to read our text here today. Inside your service program, there is an outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study. I hope it will be a help to you as we take some time to just study the Word of God here together. And uh, we'll be looking forward to what God has for us here today. First Peter chapter number 2, here's what the Bible says in verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to focus on that little phrase here. You are a chosen generation. Now notice this, a royal priesthood. The Bible refers to you as literally believer priests. And we're going to kind of unpack that idea. What does that mean Uh, What are the ramifications for us here today as we kind of look at this truth? Let's have a word of prayer, and then when I'm done, Nick, you come and give us our Bible study. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your time, for this time and your word here today. I pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word, Lord, you would teach us exactly, Lord, what you'd have for us. 
Lord, we understand that part of what church is is a place to go so we know what to believe from your word. But just as important, Lord, church is a place to come to where we can belong. And Lord, I pray that we would find our belonging first in our position in Christ and then secondly, our position within this local church family. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing through our Bible study growth groups and, Lord, how you're blessing those. And I pray that you would just continue, Lord, to raise up, Lord, groups and group leaders and people, Lord, that are doing life with each other, Lord, really uh, sharpening one another, encouraging one another, keeping one another accountable in the faith. I pray that you'd bless our time in your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you, Pastor, and thank you once again for being here. Uh, as Pastor said, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and so I'm glad that you all decided that you're going to come out to church anyway. And besides, the 49ers didn't make it, so we all have nothing better to do, right? I don't know if that's making me friends or enemies. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, as Pastor said, I had the privilege of serving here as the uh, Connections Director. It's something that I really enjoy doing. Um, actually, when Pastor first came on staff at Ambassador Baptist Church, I was in college, And when I had heard that he was going to come here, instantly I thought, I want to go there because I know God is going to do something amazing in the city of Fresno. And so there was actually a few summers I tried to intern here. It didn't really work out. And then finally, four years ago, I was able to come on staff here. And I tell you what, it's just so neat to be in a place where God is working. And it's so awesome just to see how he's changing lives through his word and how he's using these growth groups and these relationships that we're building. And it's just, it's a privilege for me just to be a part of something where God is working. Uh, This uh, morning, we're going to look at the subject of depending on Christ and how we as Christians are to depend on him versus being dependent on maybe other people or other relationships or other things. And uh, as he said, uh, we, we shared this with our growth group leaders uh, last week uh, during the evening message. And a lot of what I shared, uh, I learned in my own life uh, through not depending on Christ. Um, a lot of what I've learned over these past few years is really what we're going to look at here this morning. And a lot of it I learned through people speaking into my life saying, Nick, this is an area that you can grow in your dependence on Christ. Or maybe going through some situations with my family where I realized I wasn't depending on Christ like I should in some areas. So a lot of what we're going to look at this morning is something that the Lord's really been growing me in, and I believe that he wants to grow all Christians in as well. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever felt um, maybe let down by somebody, or maybe a certain situation where you were hoping for something, or you were hoping for something from someone, and that person maybe didn't deliver, that person let you down? Maybe you're a teenager in here this morning. There's... Got a couple right up here on the front row. Maybe you're kind of going through that stage in life where you're kind of wondering, man, people just don't get it. They don't get me. I feel misunderstood. I'm still trying to, to figure out who I am. And you're kind of going through that stage of life where you're trying to learn a lot about yourself and a lot about who you are. Or maybe this morning, you've been married for a few years and you've kind of realized marriage wasn't quite the fairy tale that the Disney cartoon told me it would be you've realized, hey, my spouse has let me down. Maybe that you had some expectations in your, in your own heart of what marriage should be, and as you started to, to be married for a little while, you realized that those expectations really weren't panning out. All of us have been there at some point or another. All of us have been let down. Maybe, maybe it's at your job. You were really hoping that your career, you would just find some sense of fulfillment, some sense of some ownership, some sense of, hey, this is what I was made for. Yet, 
as you look to your career to find that sense of satisfaction, you just come up wanting. The career isn't, it's not producing that sense of fulfillment that you thought maybe it should have. Maybe there's even a person in this room who has hurt you. Maybe there is a relationship or someone was your friend, but you felt like, man, that person, they really betrayed me. Maybe they stabbed you in the back. Maybe something didn't quite go the way you thought it was. Have you ever been let down? Or maybe you're here today and you're facing a lot of health trials. And you feel, man, this is, this is tough, what I'm going through. It's just difficult and it's hard. And it seems like nobody cares about what I am going through. Have you ever felt left down? Maybe disillusioned. Maybe discouraged. Well, this morning, we're going to look at how our dependence on Christ and how our, posi- our position as Christians, as believer priests can help us in these areas. As Pastor uh, read the verse just a moment ago, the Bible says, but ye are a chosen generation. Now get this phrase, a royal priesthood. How many of you got up this morning and you felt, you woke up and you thought, I am a priest? Anybody? Did anybody wake up this morning and maybe put on some priestly robes? You put on a cool hat? No? Nobody? Well, the Bible tells us that we are believer priests. So before we jump into it, let's look at what is the definition of a priest. What is a priest? A priest is one authorized to perform the sacred rites of a religion, especially as a mediary agent between God and man, between humans and God. So a priest is someone, kind of if you want to boil it down, that prays to God for people, right? So if you want to understand, in order to understand um, how the priests pray out in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden this morning. In the Garden of Eden, God created man. This was before sin had entered the picture. This is before man's fellowship was broken with God because of sin. The Bible says that Adam enjoyed this very intimate relationship with God. It says that he communed with him in the cool of the day. God would literally come down to earth and Adam and God would spend time together. There was a sweet communion that was there. There was a sweet friendship that Adam had with God. Literally, God would come down to earth and they would walk together in the cool of the garden. But then as you know, Adam sinned. And sin broke that relationship with God because God is a holy God. Sin broke that relationship. And now as the children of Israel begin to grow as a nation, God set up a a system. And in the Old Testament, we have what's called the tabernacle. I think we got a picture of this on the screens here. A tabernacle. The tabernacle is basically a tent that whenever the children of Israel would set up camp somewhere, they would set this tent up in the middle of their camp. And it had several different parts, but the part I want to focus on this morning is the very back part. The very back part of the, um, of the tabernacle, you can see that there's a curtain there. In that part, it's called the Holy of Holies. You can see the Ark of the Covenant is in there. Nobody was allowed to go into this portion of the tabernacle. That's why it was separated with the curtain. And the reason being was, this is where the physical presence of God would literally come down and dwell on it. I think we got another picture here, guys. Um, literally, the presence of God would come down on that one part of the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies is what it was called. It was a picture of God's throne room in heaven. And once a year, the high priest, he was the the head of all the priests that served in the tabernacle, he would go in there and he would offer blood for the sins of the nation of Israel. One time a year, he would go down there, the presence of God would come down, and it was such a serious thing because God's holy presence was there that if this priest, if he went in there and he had sin in his own life, he would instantly drop dead because he was in the presence of a holy God. 
So this was a very serious thing. Well, this priest would go in and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the entire people. God's presence was there. Um, as you read the Old Testament, you'll find part of his robes, he actually had bells along the bottom. This way, if, you, if people didn't hear the bells moving for a while, they knew, uh-oh, something went wrong. And they would have to tie a rope to his ankle and literally drag him out because they couldn't go in there. So this is where God would actually interface with man in the Old Testament. Well, then, as you read throughout the Old Testament, you'll see the children of Israel, they turn farther and farther and farther away from God until there came a point uh, between the Old and New Testament where literally it's called the 400 silent years. Man did not hear from God at that point. There was no relationship with God. The priests, I mean, they, they still went through all the rituals of it, but God wasn't there because the children of Israel had sunk so far back into their own sin. Until in the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? Jesus Christ comes on the scene. He says, I'm going to do something about, this, about, about man's sin. I'm going to fix it. And so what Jesus Christ came, he did, was he came to earth and he lived a perfectly sinless life. The life that you and I can never live. And then when he died on Calvary, God literally punished him for our sin. Because Jesus Christ lived a perfect holy life. Jesus Christ lived a perfectly righteous life. God judged him for our sin. And when we accept Jesus into our life, we get to trade our sin for God's righteousness. When God looks at a Christian now, he no longer sees a sinner. He sees, through the blood of Christ, a righteous and holy saint. Now get this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says in Matthew 27, 50 and 51, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. This was when he was on the cross. He gave up the ghost. This is when he died. And get this. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So when Jesus died, something amazing happened in the temple. The veil that separated God from man ripped in half. What that meant was man now had access to God. Because of what Jesus Christ did, man now has access to God. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins... And because we now have his righteousness, when God looks at us, he sees his righteousness, we now have access into God's throne. No longer do we need a priest to go and talk to God. Because of what Jesus Christ said, we are our own priest. I can now go and talk to God. I can now go into the very throne room of God and talk to God and commune with God. When we say we as Christians are believer priests, that's what we mean. We mean we have direct access to God. We don't have to pray through a priest. We don't have to offer up any sacrifices. Jesus Christ was that sacrifice, and we now have direct access into God's throne room. Hebrews 4.16 challenges us with this thought. But let us therefore, therefore, so we can do this because of what Jesus Christ did for us, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the doctrine of the priesthood believers kind of laying the foundation for what we're going to call the sufficiency of Christ and how we can depend on Christ. Christ's grace is sufficient for us. And because of the fact that we are believer priests, we can now go to God's throne and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for thee. So get this. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins, because I now serve as a priest, I am a priest, Uh, I can go directly into God's throne room, because I can do that, 
Jesus Christ has offered me everything that I need to get through this life. I can depend on Jesus Christ for any need that comes up in my life. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for me. The doctrine of the priesthood of the believer is an awesome truth, and it's really one of the pillars of our doctrine. But you would be surprised how often we fail to live it out in our own life. See, a lot of times when we hear that, we're like, yeah, great, I agree with that. That's awesome. That's really cool. But when it comes down to living it out, when it comes down to taking, uh, taking or getting access to God's throne, we so often fail to live it out. And this morning, we're going to look at the marks of a Christ-dependent person versus the marks of a codependent person. So first of all, let's look at the marks of a Christ-dependent person. What does it look like when I am fully living out the doctrine of the priesthood believer? What does it look like when I fully live out and believe that Christ is sufficient for all of my needs? What does it look like when I'm constantly accessing God's throne? Well, let's look at it here this morning. First of all, when I am looking to Christ, I realize that I am fully loved and accepted by him. I realize that I am fully loved and accepted by him. The Bible says in John 31, 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. In Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with thy loving kindness have I drawn thee. That's what God is saying about us. Get this. Nobody loves you more than Jesus Christ. Nobody, and let that sink in, nobody loves you more than Jesus Christ. As much as your mother loves you, as much as your spouse may love you, as much as your growth group leader or pastor even loves you, nobody loves you more than Jesus Christ. One of the marks of someone who's depending on Christ is that they realize that I am fully depending on Jesus Christ because nobody loves me more. I realize I am fully loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. No one can love me more than Jesus. I am totally accepted by him. Think about it. Jesus Christ came down from heaven to rescue you from your sin. We sang about it this morning. It's an awesome truth. Nobody loves you more. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he said, I'm going to leave heaven. I'm going to leave the very presence of God. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to live a perfect life. And then I'm going to let God punish me for your sin. How many of you like taking blame for something that somebody else did? I don't. But that's what Jesus Christ did for us. He loved us so much that he said, I will be punished by God for the sins of the entire world. When I am depending on Christ, when I realize that I am fully loved and accepted by him, the Bible says in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. One of the marks of a Christ-dependent person is they realize, I am fully loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. The next mark, when I am looking to Christ, I often spend time in God's presence. I often spend time in God's presence. Because God loves me so much, there's no one else in the world that I would rather spend time with. That's what it looks like to be Christ-dependent. I often spend time in God's presence. When Sarah and I first started dating, and we first started realizing that we liked each other, we're like, hey, you know, um, we really enjoyed spending time together, and we still do, but it was, it, was, it was neat. When we first started dating, it was like the only person I wanted to be around was Sarah. Why? Because I liked her, and she liked me. 
well, get this, because no one else loves me more than Jesus Christ, he should be my best friend. He should be my closest companion. And oftentimes we'll say that he is. We'll say, yeah, you know, Christ is my best friend. Christ is my closest companion. But how often do you spend time with Jesus? How often do you just commune? You have that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Who's the first person you tell when something good or bad happens in your life? Generally, it's someone that's really important to you. How important is Jesus Christ? The Bible says to cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. Good cares, bad cares, whatever they are. God wants us to have that close relationship with him. God wants us to be close to him. One of the marks of a Christ-dependent person is that they're often spending time in God's presence. There's a deep, abiding relationship that they have with God. Every day we spend time in God's word and in prayer, we are spending time without God. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you had a conversation with God? And your prayer time wasn't just, okay, I got everything rattled off. That was on my list. Cross that off. No, but it was a conversation. Let me ask you this. When you're going throughout your day and something comes up that maybe you didn't expect or something bugs you, is your first instinct to, oh, man, I wish that didn't happen, or is it, God, would you just give me the grace to get through this? Lord, this came up, and I really don't like it, and it's really difficult for me, but God, you promised in your word that your grace is sufficient, so I'm just going to trust in your grace. I'm going to trust in your sovereignty to get me through this. Or is our knee-jerk reaction to grumble and complain? If you sit with me in traffic, you know that's when I fail at a lot. What is your knee-jerk reaction when something comes up in your life? The marks of a Christ-dependent person. I realize that I'm fully loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. And because I'm fully loved and accepted by Jesus Christ, I often spend time in God's presence. Here's the next mark of a Christ-dependent person. When I'm depending on Christ, I am okay with whoever he sends to minister to me. I'm okay with whoever he sends to minister to me. All of us are going to come across times in our lives where we need someone to come and minister to us. And as a Christ-dependent person, I am okay with whoever God sends to do that. And when someone comes to minister to me, here's what I realize. First of all, I realize and I recognize that this person was sent by the Holy Spirit of God to come and minister unto me. God said, okay, Brother, uh, Brother Peters, I want you and I want you to go and I want you to minister to Brother Joey. Or he said, Brother Joey, I want you and I want you to go and minister to Dave. Or he said, Francisco, I want you and I want you to go and minister to Ben. You see, this is the Holy Spirit sending people to minister to us. And when I'm depending on Christ, I realize that God sent that person to minister to me. How awesome is that? God sent this person to minister unto me. I should be okay with whoever God in his sovereignty sends to minister unto me. A Christ-dependent person is okay with whoever they send to minister unto them. Why? Because they realize and they recognize that God sent this person. This isn't just, you know, somebody trying to be nice. No, God sent this person to minister into my life. God sent this person to be a conduit of his grace into my life. So we're okay with whoever God sends to minister in our lives. And then the last mark of a Christ-dependent person, when I'm looking to Christ, I am completely satisfied 
in him. I am completely satisfied in him. Why am I satisfied in him? Because the Bible says that his grace is sufficient. We don't need anything else. The Bible also says in uh, Psalm 17, 15, this is David. He says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. As you read through the Old Testament, you realize David went through a lot. He ran. People were trying to murder him. He was often spending time in the desert. People were trying to kill him. And here he has the boldness to say that, hey, I'm okay with just God. He says, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You know what David was saying? I'm completely satisfied with God. And as Christians, you know what we can say? I am completely satisfied in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ provides me everything that I need. The Bible also says in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply uh, every need of yours according to the riches in his glory in Christ Jesus. Get that. He says, in every need. He doesn't just say in your physical needs. He doesn't just say in your emotional needs. No. God can supply every need according to the riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has everything that we need. When he says his grace is sufficient, it's not just like, yeah, it's sufficient for the good days. No, it's sufficient for the bad days too. Jesus Christ and his grace is sufficient. Uh, the other day, uh, last week when we were out sewing, uh, after we had done, got done canvassing, I was really hungry. And how many of you guys have been so hungry you started getting grouchy? They call it getting hangry. Yeah, okay, we have a bunch of liars in here. Man, tell you what, every, yeah, okay, we got one honest person. Thank you, Steve. Uh, two, okay, there we go. Yeah, slowly, people are getting more honest. Now, we've all been there. We've, we're just really hungry, and we call it getting hangry, and we're a little edgy, and I'm, my attitude is like, don't talk to me unless you're going to feed me. Um, well, I was starting to get that way as we got back from outreach. And uh, so I asked Sarah, hey, let's stop at a gas station real quick. I'm going to go and buy a Snickers bar. Their logo is Satisfied. This is going to do it for me. And so she ran in. She got the Snickers bar. And do you know what she had the audacity to do? She opened up that Snickers bar and she took the first bite. I was like, are you for real? You just, you just took a bite of my Snickers bar. And then she does this. It's for the baby. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was not satisfied. <laughs> I was let down by Snickers and my wife. Just kidding. Um, you know the truth is, though? So often we do that in the Christian life with Jesus. We go through life and we're not satisfied. We want more than Jesus. We want Jesus plus. But when I'm depending on Christ, I am completely satisfied in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he offers me everything that I need. His grace is sufficient. So those are the marks of a Christ-dependent person. Now let's look at the marks of a codependent person. Or someone that's not depending on Jesus Christ. So those, that's what it looks like when we are depending on Jesus Christ. We realize we're fully loved and accepted by him. Because of that, we spend time in his presence. Uh, when people come our way to minister unto us, we realize and recognize that God sent that person. And I'm completely satisfied in him. Now let's look at the marks of a codependent person. What does it look like when I'm not depending on Jesus Christ? Well, the first mark of a codependent person, not a Christ-dependent person is I want people to build up my ego. When I am not looking to Christ, I want people to build up my ego. See, when I am depending on Christ, I realize I'm fully loved and accepted by him. But when I'm not looking to Christ, I want people to build up my ego. 
I want people to tell me I'm great. I want people to tell me I'm awesome. I want people to tell me how great I am. Uh, You'll see this a lot of times in marriage. Maybe a husband will expect a spouse to treat him a certain way. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll, we'll look to our spouse and we'll say, hey, no, you need to treat me a certain way. You know, you're my spouse. Come on, you're supposed to get this right. Come on, let's go here. We look to people to build up our ego. You can expect your spouse to maybe tell you how great you look first thing in the morning. Now, as a husband, I want to tell my wife she looks beautiful in the morning and not just to keep her from trying on 10 different outfits before we come to church. Just kidding, that never happens. Um, I want to tell my wife she's beautiful because I love her and I want to invest in my marriage. But as a spouse, I don't want to expect my wife to give me compliments to build up my ego. You see the difference? As a Christian, I don't want to look to a person to maybe build up my ego. Maybe at work you expected a boss to compliment the job you did. And when he didn't, it just kind of, ah. I worked so hard on that and I got zero recognition. Or maybe it's at church and you served doing something and you thought you did a really good job and nobody had you stand up to clap. Maybe it could, it, it could be in a lot of different ways. But when I'm not looking to Christ, I want people to build up my ego. The Bible says in James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so when we want people to build up our ego, when we want people to build up our pride, we're really positioning ourselves in a place where we can't experience God's grace because we're resisting it with our pride. When I'm not looking to Christ, I want people to build up my ego. Next, when I am not looking to Christ, I crave lots of attention. As I said, my wife is pregnant. We're learning lots about cravings. Um, One minute it's chocolate, the next minute it's a corn dog, the next it's shrimp. I don't get it, Um, but we have fun with it. But when I'm not looking to Christ, I crave lots of attention. I have to be the center of all the conversations. I have to be right in there. When I'm talking, when I jump in and I talk to my friends, all of a sudden I always switch the topic to me. Look at me. Look at me. I crave lots of attention. I'm always talking about myself. When I'm not looking to Christ, I crave lots of attention. I want people to build up my ego. Next, when I'm not looking to Christ, I demand that certain people minister to me. I demand that certain people minister unto me. You see, I'm not okay with God sending whoever to minister unto me. I want it to be so-and-so. So-and-so has to be the conduit of God's grace. It doesn't matter whether or not the Holy Spirit sent them. It has to be this person. It has to be, you know, Brother Newton. It has to be, it has to be uh, Brother Joey. It has to be Brother Joey and Brother Newton are the same person. Wow, I really like Brother Joey. It has to be pastor. It has to be my growth group leader. I demand that certain people minister unto me. I'm not okay with whoever he sends to minister. I'm not okay when he just sends, uh, you know, just some, one, on, one of my other friends. It has to be a certain person. When I'm not looking to Christ, I demand that certain people minister unto me. You see it in marriage all the time. People demand their spouse be a conduit of God's grace in their life. Can I say this? Some of the most godly people I know don't receive grace from their spouse. When we are looking to Christ, we're okay. But when I'm not looking to Christ, I demand that certain people minister unto me. Can I say this? Whether or not that person ministers to you does not change the fact that God is still good. God is still sovereign and on the throne. 
but my growth group leader forgot my birthday. God is still good. God is still in control. He is still on the throne. And in his sovereignty, he sent certain people to minister unto you. And here's the last mark of someone that's not depending on Christ, the mark of a codependent person. Because of all this, when I'm not looking to Christ, I, get this, unintentionally idolize the people around me. I unintentionally, but I do idolize the people around me. Let's define what an idol is. Because most of us, we probably didn't wake up this morning and bow down to a statue of Buddha or make a little graven image, as the Bible will call it. But all of us, at some point, have some kind of idol within our heart. Our hearts are idol-making factories. And when I am not looking to Christ, I will unintentionally idolize the people around me. So the definition of an idol, that what we're going to define as an idol this morning, is looking to someone or something smaller than Jesus to give me what only Christ can give me. Looking to someone or something smaller than Jesus to give me what only Christ can give me. And can I say this? Everything is smaller than Jesus. Everyone is smaller than Jesus. So when I look to, uh, we'll pick on someone different, Brother Adam. When I look to Adam and I say, Adam, you have to be the person that ministers unto me. I am looking to Adam and I am not looking to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am idolizing Adam and I am not worshiping Jesus Christ. I am not depending on him. See, when we don't, we unintentionally idolize people around me. An idol is anything or anyone that you conclude in your heart you must have in order to live, in order for your life to be meaningful, valuable, secure, exciting, or free. Anyone or anything in your heart that you say, I need this in order to be happy. I need this in order to experience God in my life. I need this. It's an idol. All we need is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is sufficient. We are completely satisfied in him when we depend on Jesus Christ. So I will unintentionally idolize people around me. And here's the scary thing. What you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Because as I look to a person, as I look to say Brother Red to offer me significance, and I look to Brother Red to maybe be a conduit of God's grace in my life, as I'm looking to him, you know what? He is not Jesus. He cannot give me what only Jesus Christ can give me. And so because he's a human, you know what he's going to do? He's going to fail. And he's going to let me down. And because he did that, mm, well, that idol failed, and then I demonize him. And I get angry, and I get upset. It happens in marriages. Our, our spouse doesn't do what we thought they should. And so I get angry, and I get upset at my spouse. It ruins friendships all the time. My friend didn't treat me the right way. My friend said something about me behind my back. But here's the deal. Your friend isn't Jesus. And if you idolize that person, you will eventually demonize that person because they are not Jesus Christ. Here's what we also have to be careful of. We have to be careful that we don't enable someone else's idolatry. So as you are ministering to people, as we're doing that, we have to be careful that I always am pushing people to Jesus Christ. That I'm always pushing people to him. And I'm not allowing someone to idolize me. Because I don't want them to demonize me. One and two, they need to worship Jesus Christ. We cannot allow someone else to become uh, idols. Or we cannot allow um, a culture to be created where idols can happen. And here's what's tough. It makes us feel really good. 
so-and-so needs me. I mean, how many of you husbands, you feel good when your wife comes up to you and says, honey, could you open this? Well, sure I can, babe. Sure, it makes us feel good. But that's just pride. We cannot allow someone else to make an idol out of us. And so as we are ministering to people, and get this, I'm not saying don't minister to people. Minister to people. As the Holy Spirit lays folks on your heart, minister to them. Minister to them. Be a conduit of God's grace to people. But don't allow people to idolize you. Now here's what we also have to be careful of. If God lays you to minister to someone, so the Holy Spirit leads you to go and minister to somebody, and he doesn't lead somebody else, maybe there's a situation and the Holy Spirit leads you to engage that situation. Maybe uh, the Holy Spirit leads you to go and to help or to confront or to engage a situation. And you look over and you say, well, you know, someone, uh, he over there, he's not. Why, why isn't he engaging that situation? When maybe the Holy Spirit led that person to give that person margin to let the Holy Spirit work in their life. We can't become judgmental because the Holy Spirit led you to do something and not somebody else. We can't become judgmental because, well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this, so therefore everyone should have to do this. That's not possible. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead us all in different ways. That doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. Really, it's a test of our surrender, like Brother Van Gelder mentioned a few weeks ago. So we have to be careful that we don't become judgmental when the Holy Spirit leads somebody else to do something differently. As we're ministering to people, we need to always be making sure that we are pushing them to Christ and his sufficiency. Hey, I'm going to be here for you. We're going to make meals for you as a growth group. We're going to be there so you can talk to you. But you know what? There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. Yeah, I I know sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's lonely. We're here for you. But you know what? Jesus is always there for you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's there for you. We always need to be making sure that we are pushing people towards depending on Christ. The Christ-dependent life obliterates me because it's not about me. The Christ-dependent life obliterates me. Suddenly, life is no longer about my little world. Life is no longer about me and what I want. It's all about Jesus Christ. And when we depend on Christ, it's not about us. It's all about him. And so we must depend on Christ. Imagine what it would look like for the entire church to live this out. Imagine it. Imagine the difference we can make on the city of Fresno if we thought, let's as a church live the Christ-dependent life. Imagine what it would do in your workplace. If you as an employee went there and you said, you know what, I am going to totally depend on Jesus Christ. Imagine what it would do to your family, to have a family that totally depends on Jesus Christ. And imagine what it would do personally in your own life, to totally depend on Jesus Christ. One last thing. Why did God give us this awesome privilege of being believer priests? Why? Look at the last part of our text, 1 Peter 2.9. Get this, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So that Christ could shine through us. Because it's not about us, it's about him. And the whole purpose that we can go to God and we can access his throne and we have his graces so that his life can shine through us. The Ambassador Baptist Church is here on a mission. 
We say it all the time. We talk about it all the time. But if we don't live Christ-dependent lives, it won't happen. We have to live Christ-dependent lives. We will glorify God and reach our city when we as a church decide to live a Christ-dependent life. We will glorify God and reach our city when we decide as families to live the Christ-dependent life. And we will glorify God and reach our cities when I as an individual decide I am going to depend on Christ. Not a person, not a growth group. Go to your growth group. I, I encourage you, if you're not in a growth group, get in a growth group. Get plugged in. Get connected. We strongly encourage that. But we strongly encourage you to depend on Christ. And then Christ can use your growth group and Christ can use these other people around you. The Christ-dependent life. Let me urge you, pastor's going to come in a moment to give the invitation, but let me encourage you to get unusually quiet. Forget about the Super Bowl. Forget about the food. For, just, just forget about everything for a minute. Get unusually quiet in your spirit and in your heart and ask the Holy Spirit this question. Is there something or someone that I'm depending on instead of you, Jesus Christ? Is there something in my life that maybe unknowingly or maybe unintentionally I have created into an idol in my life? Let me encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit that question in this invitation time. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.